know what success is from the very beginning so that when you reach it, you will be proud and, and you won't get stuck in the suck. I am the New York Times bestselling and award-winning author of the Vanessa Michael Monroe thrillers, and this is the Taylor Stevens Show podcast, and I'm here today with my good friend Steve Campbell, and we are shooting the breeze, and I think today we've got some reader and listener questions, and yes. so we're going to do a Q&A. This is one of my favorite episodes to do, the Q&A episode, because it's easy, and we don't have to do a lot of prep. And we just get questions from people. And the first question, this actually came, I think, after the first Q&A session that we had. Someone tweeted this question to you. Bruce Cantwell tweeted the question. And it had to do with the length of book contracts. And at, at that time, you had mentioned that your contracts called for 100,000 words. And Bruce asked, do you think 100,000-word book contracts cause writers to lose pace and readers? It's a good question. It is a good question. And I can't, I can't give the definitive answer on that. I can only give my opinion on that. Um, this I is the Taylor th- Stevens show. It's not the definitive answer on anything. <laughs> it is the Taylor Stevens answer. I'm equivocating. <laughs> um, I, I don't think it hurts because it, it's, it's genre specific. Like, first of all, if this, and I've had many editors tell me that if the contract calls for a hundred thousand words, but the story feels bloated at a hundred thousand that they have no problem cutting. And if the pro, if the story needs more than a hundred thousand, as long as it's not bloating the story, then the story is most important. So even though a hundred thousand is in the contract, I think that's more of a guideline. I've never had a book come in at exactly a hundred thousand words. It's always been a little bit more, sometimes been a lot bit more and it required a lot of cutting, but the book was better for the cutting. And I'm very wordy as I've said a few times. Well, let's let's talk about that cutting a little bit because I, I think that's interesting. I, I can imagine, I, I suspect there, there are two ways of writing a book and one is to write it a little on the short side the first time and then you flesh it out and the other way would be to just sort of put everything in there and then cut it back. It sounds like you're a put everything in and cut it back person. Yes, and there's pros and cons to doing it that way. Um, the con is that it takes way more time to do it. Because you've wasted all that time because not only are you just writing the story and getting it all out there, but then you take all that time to make sure that it's written well and that it's integrated into the story properly. So then to cut it out is like, well, that would have been three months better spent on the beach or something. Yeah, and if it's if it's integrated the way you're describing it, then it's, you know, the thing that, that, that maybe you're taking out on page 19 is referred to on page 197. Right. And so There's you've got to go ripples. back and fix all that stuff. There's yeah. always ripple effects in everything that you take out. So you have to be really careful about that or anything that you change. And um, if you've never sat there with a hundred and something thousand words in front of you, just scrolling through the screen, because I just use a Word document. I know some authors use different programs and stuff to keep their stuff organized. I keep it all inside my head. So if, if you've got a hundred thousand words just sitting in front of you, I mean, you if you've never done it, it's really hard to imagine how difficult it is to keep everything 100% consistent and coherent because you're not just working on this for, you know, a week or two. This is like six months. So by the time you get to the end, it's been six months since you were at the beginning. So 
there's a lot of work that goes into just keeping everything tight and, and then having to go and cut stuff out. It, it can really lengthen the amount of time that you spend working on that book because of, of making all pieces fit again. I don't know whether you'll know the answer to this question or not, but it's sort of a follow-up question, and I'll pretend that I'm Bruce asking this follow-up question. Uh, do you know how how different are the contracts for different genres? Like, is, is romance the same as thrillers? Are mysteries the same? I don't know. I I've I've heard that like there are the Tom Clancy's of the world <laughs> whose contracts call for like 150,000 words. Uh-huh. Um, and then there will be some, I've heard, and I don't know if this is true, that there are some genres like maybe young adult where they're not really looking for it to go over 70,000 words. But I know, again, it's really about the story. If something, if it's a good story that comes in and it takes more than that to make it work, then they're not going to reject it just out of hand based on the word count. Where word count can be a problem, though, is if somebody submits like a 400,000 word manuscript you know, I have a really hard time getting editors to take that seriously because now I've been told by editors that they would much rather have a book that's too long than too short because when you have a book that's too long and you cut out what's not necessary, you end up with a really tight book because everything matters in it. And that's what happened with me with The Doll. And that, that book is just... It's nothing but what matters because so much got cut out of it. And it is a very, it's a much stronger book because of that. Um, but the amount of work that goes into paring down a 400 and something thousand word novel to even a manageable 300,000 words <laughs> is insane. Because do you know how many times both author and editor have to read that manuscript? So... You know, they could read four manuscripts in the space of that one. Mm-hmm. So if it's if you're going to turn in a 400,000 book, it better be worth every single word. And if it is, well, then there you go. But if it's not, it's going to be a hard sell. So do, the, back to the original question of, you know, does 100,000 words, you know, affect the pace or, you know, does it throw... Does it throw the author off? Um, I think it doesn't because it's more of a guidepost. Like as an as an author, at least as a genre author, your goal is to make your audience happy. You're a storyteller. You're an entertainer. If you if you think that you're anything other than that, you're taking yourself way too seriously because genre writing is like the potato chips of 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 books you know it's like there's it's snack it's 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 brain candy it can be really 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 good and tasty brain candy but it's not it's not pretentious and, and literary so your goal no matter how literary you are as a genre writer is to make your audience happy to give them what they want in that genre and in thrillers you you're looking for chases and escapes and guns and exciting situations and and conflict and and all of that and it's really hard to have all of that and keep it with that intensity if the book starts going over and over and over it just it's going to lose that steam mm-hmm. and so 100,000 words becomes a really good guidepost for what's going to make the audience happy, what meets audience expectations. And, 
you know, when readers go into a, a Tom Clancy novel, for example, those big, thick tomes, well, they're, they're expecting a lot of that stuff, but they're also expecting very detailed analysis of, you know, machines and submarines and airplanes and, you know, the inner workings of things, which for someone who doesn't read that type of book, they're going to skip all that. So in the type of book that I write in the thriller genre, they're going to skip all that. So we don't need those extra 150,000 words, those extra 50,000 words. And if we include them, it's going to make a very unhappy audience. So word counts are there for a reason. Yes. Uh, next question. And this is an interesting question. And uh, it, it, it's a question that's, that's asked of you, but I think it could be true of any author. Um, if I want to support an author or if I want to support you, where's the best place for me as a reader to buy the book? What, where do you get the most benefit? I, I do get that question a lot, and I love my readers for asking because what it means is that they care. It means that they're aware that authors need to get paid in order to be able to eat and <laughs> keep writing and that they value what I do enough to care, and it, it makes me so happy that it just, it's a wonderful, wonderful question. Honestly, for me, it doesn't matter where people buy my books right now. Anyway, where I am, they're sold everywhere. And I, I pretty much, um, you know, like I, I want people to be able to, um, do what makes them happy. If, if it's a big pain in the butt for them to order my books, then they're not going to do it. So, you know, there's a lot of big brouhaha about Amazon and, and whatever, um, but if you are an Amazon shopper, buy it on Amazon. I don't care. Um, if you, if you want to support the book industry, um, and especially the mom and pop stores, then I'm like, well, if you, if you can, and if you can afford it, cause it is a little bit more expensive to buy from an indie then, and it doesn't make any difference to you, then please buy from an indie. There's some really, really wonderful, uh, independent stores that are very well stocked. They have great customer service. And the reason why supporting indie stores is so important is if you're one of those people who likes to actually get autographed books or likes to see authors, because, um, you know, while Amazon is much more affordable, it, they don't have book signings. And in order for there to be book signings, there has to be space. And in order for the space, somebody has to pay for the lights. And that's where the little bit, of, the little bit extra that you're paying for a book goes to. Um, if you're, if people aren't huge Amazon supporters for whatever reason, whether it's books or not, there are other, um, other online retailers. Like if you're an, I'm an online shopper. I, I don't leave my house unless I'm forced to, I buy everything online. Um, and so there are other online retailers, uh, jet, com just opened up and they got really good prices on books. I mean, insane prices on books right now if they carry them. Um, they'll beat Amazon's price, but it's a little bit of a different shopping experience. Walmart, um, I can't say that they're the lesser evil. Maybe they are not. Target, although they all have free online shipping programs um, where you buy a box and unlimited shipping. You know, they've all got their things. So just because they don't carry the book in the store doesn't mean they don't carry it online. So there's all kinds of places where you can buy books. And I also get the question on which format is better for the author, you know, hardback or, or digital. Um, I do get a slightly better uh, commission, I guess, royalty off of paper books. But 
I wouldn't want somebody to feel compelled to buy something that doesn't really suit them just because they're doing it for me. I mean, I'm grateful. I'm, I'm touched. I like that. You're the nicest person in the whole wide world. Thank you for even considering that. Um, if it doesn't matter to you one way or the other, please buy a paper book because then you can gift it to somebody when you're finished or you can, um, you can share it and stick it in somebody's hands and say, you have to read this, which is a lot harder to do with an ebook. And word of mouth is a lot. That's where so many of my readers have come from is someone else telling them, oh my God, you have to read this author. It's so hard for people to even know that I exist. And so that's where paper books come in really handy. So if it doesn't matter to you one way or the other, please buy a paper book. But if you're an e-reader and you want to buy an e-book, I'm not going to love you any less. I appreciate that sale and I appreciate the ones that you give to people. So there's really no wrong answer, no right answer. It's do what makes you happy and just please buy the book. That's the big thing. Buy the book or read the book somehow. Go to the library and get the book. Yeah, um, I mean, please. I mean, people don't realize how much libraries support authors. Um, so if you're a library reader, you can totally support the author just by making sure the library carries the books that you love to read. Okay. Uh, next question it, it's a good question. You've answered it a couple of times. We've talked about this a, a couple of times in other episodes, so we'll just we'll, we'll do it quickly, and then there's a follow-up question, which I don't think you've ever answered. But the, the first part of the question is, what's the best advice you've ever received as an author? So, yeah, we have, we have talked about that before, but it's, um, it's really good that we do it again because it's easy to miss this, and it's a really important answer. It's, it, it, uh, it hugely affected me. It was given to me by... Um, Michael Palmer, who's a, a, he was considered the father of medical thriller. Wonderful, wonderful man, very generous, and passed away recently. And um, he would give this advice to everyone who asked him. And he had two, two sayings, and he would advise you, you know, put them up. Put them up on your computer or workspace, wherever. You're going to see them on a regular basis. And the first one was, this is hard. And the second one, be fearless. And I honestly, I don't think it gets much better than that because those two concepts together pretty much encapsulate everything that it means to be a novelist. All right. Let me ask a, a quick follow-up question on that. The, the part about this is hard, that makes perfect sense. But the be fearless, that's interesting, and I can see how that's valuable. Can you share some examples of how you've used that particular idea in your writing? Where, where it's come in for me, and I think it would be a little bit different for each individual, and probably a little bit different depending on where you are in your writing career. When you write that first book, you're kind of writing it in a vacuum. So you, you're not exposed to the online vitriol or the judgments of people and having everything you say torn apart or misunderstood. So... I think you are a little more fearless in the first book. At least I was more fearless in the first book because I didn't realize that the things I said could come back to hurt me. So once you're exposed to that, you can get a little touchy um, in the sense that you've touched that stove and you don't want to get burned again. And you could pull your words, pull your punches, be a little more gentle. Like, because... You, as an author, when you're approaching different subjects, even if it's the characters' voices or whatever, you're still putting opinions out there. You're still putting facts. You're putting um, 
a side of a story, whatever. And inevitably, there are going to be people out there who disagree with you vehemently and who will use what you have to say as a way to show how what a horrible person you are. And it depends a little bit on the subject, obviously. I, as a thriller writer, I tend to not write about subjects that people are emotionally attached to, but I've seen it happen to other authors where they, you know, maybe abortion is the subject of one of the books that they write, or adoption, or um, maybe it's political in nature, and you'll see them get eviscerated by people who disagree with them or who had different experiences than the characters that they wrote about. Tell stories about these characters that you made up. You can get a little gun shy. So it's a really good reminder, be fearless. Just tell the story. Don't be afraid. And, and, and put it all out there. Put, put your heart, put your soul, put your blood, sweat, and tears. Don't hold anything back. Just, just be unafraid. Do it. Be fearless. Okay, good answer. All right, now uh, the last question for this Q&A, it, it, it's kind of a follow-up for what we just had. Um, where someone asked, what's the best advice you'd ever received? This is, what advice would you give to an aspiring author in today's world? Um, I would, <laughs> I guess it would depend a little bit on where they are in their journey, because everybody is individual, and unlike Michael Palmer, I don't have this amazing advice that can be applied to everybody straight across the board. But I think it would be, to to know what you want and know why you're doing this because there's there's so much noise so many voices um clamoring saying you know this is, this is what success looks like or this is what you should listen this other person this other person did this and it can be maddening and you can end up chasing your tail if you know what you want and you know what's important to you, and you know why you're doing what you're doing, then the voices don't matter. And you have an arrow pointing you, saying, go this way. And you know exactly why, no matter who agrees with you or disagrees with you, their opinions don't matter. You're doing this for you. So know what you want, and know what, know what success is from the very beginning, so that when you reach it, you will be proud, and, and you won't get stuck in the suck. Stuck in the suck. I like it. All right. So know what you want and know where you're going from the very beginning. Yes. All right. And and by know where you're going, I don't mean like, oh, you know, I'm going to sell this book and it's going to be to this publisher and for this much money and it's going to sell these many. I don't mean like that. I mean like, what's your end goal? Why are you doing this? Okay. Good answer. Can you hear the thunder in the background? I can't. Okay. I don't know whether it's going to come through or not. So, listeners, if you can hear it, it is raining like crazy here in Florida. And I don't know why. if that's one of the reasons Taylor has been has cut out a couple of times. We have connected and reconnected probably four times on this one show. Uh, bad timing on uh, the time to record, but we soldier on. And we soldier on now with a call to action. And it's my turn to pick a call to action. And that call yes. to action is, aren't you happy that, that it's my yes, turn? Yes, I'm so happy you can put me on the spot. <laughs> All right. That call to action is, if you have a question for our next Q&A show, which will probably be in about a month, tweet it to, to Taylor or email, or email Taylor. Me. 
Either one. If you're on the email Facebook. list, just hit reply to one of her emails or just send the email to her at what address? Contact at taylorstevensbooks.com or you can post it on Facebook. Or Facebook or your Twitter account, which is at Taylor at. underscore Stevens. That's correct. All right, so that's the call to action. Tweet us or email a question for our next show because we're we're doing the Q&A shows specifically to answer your questions. So that yeah, is I it. I heard the thunder that time. Yeah. I, I, Sorry, uh, I interrupted I'm, I'm, you. Squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> well, believe me, I can hear it here. <laughs> it sounds loud. It's, uh, the rain is pelting against the windows, the, the lightning and the thunder. It's, uh, it's an adventure here at, in uh, southwest Florida here today. All right, so everybody, enough blathering about the weather. Thank you for listening, and we will be back again next week. See you next week. Bye.